Hello and welcome to Anime Pop, the Pop Break's official podcast on all things anime. I am your host, Josh Sarnecki, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Amanda Rivas. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Josh. Super excited to chat about our topic with you guys and to recap this anime year in review, because as an anime fan, it was a banger. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. So, so much to cover, but very glad to, to get into that material. And in addition, we have a very special guest. He is the director of our podcast here at Pop Break. You can call him perhaps the podfather of the site. Yes. <laughs> He's shaking his head. He loved it. He loved it. Alex Marcus, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Josh. I'm so excited to be here. I did my homework. I am an anime novice, but I tried my best to prepare for today, and I can't wait to get into all this stuff. And we specifically told you that you did not have to do homework, and you're like, I'm going to do this. I got this, guys. <laughs> it's my inner <laughs> Lisa Simpson. I can't help myself. I appreciate it. We, we know, Alex, you cannot do a podcast without homework, so you know we, <laughs> we appreciate it. But uh, yeah, so today we are going to be talking about the latest uh, Miyazaki film, The Boy and the Heron, uh, which recently uh, came out. So we're going to be covering that. Um, But before we get into that, we are going to go into the uh, year in review for all of the wonderful anime that came out this year. So uh, Amanda, I'm going to throw it to you um, so we can dive into that. All right. Well, Josh... Like you and I have talked about throughout the course of of our podcasting adventures here, there's a lot that happened in 2023. I feel like I was like sending you stuff that just dropped all the time. And it's like, this is a great time to be an anime fan, whether you are returning to the genre, whether you are brand new to it. This is the year, guys. And I'm going to do my best to recap because there's a lot of brand new anime and very junior anime that entered into second seasons. All of our heavy hitters pretty much came out to play this year. You know, we've been talking about how 2024, spring 2024 is going to be. I don't even know if we have enough podcast episodes to cover (laughs) how much good stuff we've got. So I'm going to recap what this year looked like. I'm also going to share a little bit of breaking news coming out of Jump Festa this year as well. And talk about some of the news that that we did cover a little bit this year. Um, So for the start, I'm just going to tell you guys the first few kind of recaps i'm going to do we've talked about in detail in our past episodes so check out our catalog if you want to know more and that is again you know we had highly successful sophomore seasons for jujitsu kaisen and spy family so go check those out also for bleach thousand year blood war season two and of course um you know again you can check out our thoughts on all of those in our our past episodes jujitsu kaisen guys still sitting here traumatized (laughs) (laughs) It has become the new attack on Titan for me, but so good. So good. And of course, there's breaking news coming out of Jump Fest on that, which I'll get to. Um, And of course, you know, we we saw the end of Attack on Titan, at least for now. We've covered that previously in our last episode, if you're curious about our thoughts. But Attack on Titan, one of our our great mainstream animes, is, is at least for now concluded. Of course, this year also saw and maybe, maybe we'll see what this holds for the future. Because again, there's more news coming out of Jump Festa. But Netflix, maybe, maybe finally got the live action formula right, given the successful live or, uh, live action adaptation of One Piece. And now what we're hearing about Yu Yu Hakusho is it's also good. Not necessarily right at the One Piece level, but 
also very good. So here's hoping <laughs> that Netflix has has finally figured the formula out and we've moved on past the days of Death Note. And of course, this year also saw the wrap up of the 14 year Wano arc with Luffy defeating Kaido. And of course, now we know the truth about his devil fruit with the Gear 5 revelation. And of course, everybody in the Straw Hats got a power upgrade. So again, those are some of the the recaps that we've covered in detail. So go back, reference our catalog if you're wanting to uh, to hear more about our thoughts on these. Uh, but of course, this year also saw the heavy hitters come out to play. We got the villains arc for My Hero Academia. Wow, one of the darkest arcs watching our protagonist, Deku, really go through it. <laughs> kind of being the lone ranger here. All Might, I am seriously worried about his safety. We know I'm just here like, please. And of course, my man, Eraserhead, sacrificing some limbs over here. So, which I still love you, Eraserhead. Still love you. Still husband Um, But My Hero Academia. And of course, we're going to see more of that uh, come May 4th with the season seven premiere of My Hero Academia. We're working towards the end. And of course, there's also going to be a movie dropping in the summer for My Hero Academia. We also saw the very successful release of the Swordsmith arc for Demon Slayer. So Demon Slayer fans rejoiced everywhere because this is fantastic. And of course, it looks like in April, we will be getting the training arc, which of course will be the start of the end as the manga is already complete. So we got our Demon Slayer beautifully adapted. You know, we got the love Hashida. We got the win Hashida. We got, and I'm not going to spoil it. If you haven't seen Demon Slayer by now, go see it. But Nesco, of course, our girl, ooh, put us through the ringer for a minute, but her story has taken a very dramatic turn. So go watch that. More to come. That's going to be a big factor in the training arc. We also saw um, some some additional seasons for Dr. Stone, which is another another mainstream anime that the current the season three happening right now. Um, and I believe is still going to be ongoing for a little while at least. And then, of course, for my Vinland Saga peeps, Season two dropped this year, and wow, <laughs> that one is another one. Um, of course, this season I, I believe went to Mappa Studios too, so animation upgrade. And of course, we're getting more, getting to learn more about Thorfinn, and uh, and that he's not just an angry kid. There is more to Thorfinn than we thought. The storytelling for this season was absolutely beautiful. For the Gundam fans out there. We also saw the release of Mobile Suit Gundam, the witch uh, from Mercury, which I'm not a Gundam fan. I'm going to say it out there. I know people are going to hate me for it, but I mean, I think it's cool, but, you know, it's still very noteworthy to mention with Mobile Suit Gundam. So Gundam peeps, I heard good things about the witch from Mercury. Josh, are you a Gundam fan? Can't say I am. I've heard great things about the witch of Mercury. Just not a not a giant robot guy, I guess. I mean, it looks cool. But but from what I've seen online about it, very, very solid, very solid news. So that franchise continues. And of course, 2023 also saw the return of two classic animes. In the, of course, the, a lot of gateway animes for people too. Um, with Baruni Kinshin, which a season two has just been announced as well, coming out of Jump Vesta. And um, of course, if you're a Baruni Kinshin fan, the new series will not disappoint. Uh, because it does, of course, continue to follow the manga and the original anime, much like the original did. So if you're a Rurouni Kenshin fan, you will not be disappointed. 
Um, of course, the animation is beautifully done. The storytelling continues to be really, really good. And of course, if you're a Trigun fan like me, we got Trigun Stampede this year. And what, what, that was insane. <laughs> one of the, for me, one of the best animes of this year. Um, of course, we saw a difference in animation quality. Beautifully done. Although some people, including myself, had a hang up before. We did. We did a little bit. It's a little different. Um, but the story beautifully done follows the manga if you've not checked out trigun stampede please do uh, available on crunchyroll and i no i'm sorry hulu um no crunchyroll too so it's crunchyroll hulu right. same with kenshin crunchyroll as well um again we are getting season twos for both shows as well tbd dates 2020 2024 is going to be a busy year <laughs> yes but those are our heavy hitters um we also saw a lot of new anime come out this year, and I'm just going to quickly share a list of some of the more noteworthy ones. There's still a lot. Our, you know, our guests here on the pod have talked about a few of them. We've geeked out behind the scenes about a few of them, um, and of course, there's a few that we've we've covered here um, on the on a, our podcast here too. So I'm just going to quickly go through those. But this is throughout the year. What was buzzing? Of course, we saw successful second seasons for Ranking of Kings, Tokyo Revengers, Mushoku Tensei. Uh, which those were were very very highly buzzed about. We also saw if you're a sports anime fan, Blue Lock, which is fantastic by the way. Uh, kind of a a supernatural soccer anime, which is very 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 good. You think it wouldn't be good? It's good. Um, go watch that one. Uh, Hell's Paradise, also really really well done. Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead, Firein. Beyond Journey's End, which is currently streaming at this point in time. We covered My Happy Marriage here on the pod, so that one is also super successful. Horyuma, The Missing Pieces, Oshinoko, Buddy Daddies, Undead Unluck, Second Season of The Ancient Magus Bride, The Apothecary Diaries, and Undead Murder Farce were a few that dropped this year that were buzzing. So that's a little bit, again, that's just a handful. There was a lot, guys. <laughs> yeah. Just a few things came out this year. Just a just few. A few. Just a few. Um, and of course, big news coming out. We covered some of this news. But we got we got quite a bit of news this year as well. You know, we got the announcement, big one for my dragon for the Dragon Ball Z peeps in the house. Got Dragon Ball Daima again expected October. Of course, bad news for the Naruto peeps. <laughs> <laughs> the indefinite delay of the 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 special four episodes of the that were going to follow the original Naruto series. So I'm sorry. Naruto fans and no news out of Jump Fiesta, Jump Festa as well. Sorry, no. you okay over there, Josh? Doing all right? You know, I do find it really silly that it was there to uh, celebrate the anniversary, and now it's going to happen like who knows how long after the anniversary. It's like, well, okay. Well, and the worst part was there was that trailer leak mm. that came out that hit the internet, so people got all hyped about it because I I saw it. I'm sure you did too. The the quality was outstanding because our concern, like we've talked about before, was are we going to get the Boruto animation treatment, which is pretty mm. terrible. <laughs> yeah. And then and then seeing this, I was like, oh, this is peak animation. This is going to be great. And then no news. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but. But hot off the presses for my Chainsaw Man peeps, because that one was another one this year that I purposely held off mentioning that took the anime world by storm. We got Denji people. We got you see Chainsaw Man at every convention now. I have seen poached to handbags because he's so great. Do I have one and a few t-shirts? Absolutely. I am one of those. Um, 
but we also have a lot of powers and Makimas everywhere. So Chainsaw Man started a whole new culture, I feel like. And of course, no news of a season two all year round. It's been it's been very, very quiet on that front until earlier this morning where we got the announcement that the Rees arc is coming out uh, to be TBD, maybe sometime 2024, maybe 2025. You never know. Um, and it's a movie. It's a movie, guys. <laughs> and I'm caught up in the manga. And I'm just going to say it's going to be one hell of a movie. <laughs> so it's going to be insane. But to cap off some of the news this year, also coming out of Jump Festa, Oda sensei and netflix are going to continue to be busy because on the one piece special stage we got the announcement that a remake of the anime series is coming sometime for the 25th anniversary and it's going to be called the one piece and it's going to remake the anime series starting with the east blue arc completely new animation which studios is known for ranking of kings spy family they were the previous home of Vinland Saga and Attack on Titan in the earlier seasons for Attack on Titan. Josh, your thoughts on this news about One Piece or any of the recap if you want to add to it. Oh man, there's so much to digest. I mean, for the 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 One Piece news, I mean, that was very unexpected, I will say. Um actually right before we started recording, Alex sent me um a message saying josh explain this and like look i I don't know (laughs) so i mean it's it's big news it's i i think it'll be hopefully a good chance to celebrate the franchise and i think a much needed window for people to get into the show who are admittedly intimidated by the ridiculous amount of episodes that have been released in the original anime so i think it's really exciting and no i think it definitely building off of the popularity of the live action. So I'm curious, Alex, when when you sent me that message, is, is that me and that's something that you're going to be diving yeah. into as soon as it comes out? No, I wouldn't say that. But I would say that I'm more likely to watch that than the original One Piece, which is currently in its, what, 78th year of uh, publication. So <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Something. something. It's, it's getting towards the end, though. We got into this six or seven years in the final. We're in the final home stretch, though. Sure. I take about six or seven years. But we're in the final home stretch with the egghead. Like we're going to get that fifth Avatar movie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, Oda Sensei though did put out a, a put out. He's very good about communicating with his fans. We appreciate that. Thank you, Oda. Um, about you know, kind of the expectations that he's going to finish the manga, so he's not going to do the George R. R. Martin on all of us. Thank you. Um, his hopes for this new series and why they did it, uh, and of course, you know, kind of some introductory notes to the the egghead arc which there's so much coming out of that arc in the if you're a one piece fan you know what i'm talking about you know you know this is the is sonic it? crossover or yeah the ugly you know we don't get the ugly sonic you know we get the ah, we got okay. the good sonic gotcha. um so and it was interesting though that this news came out nail. exactly exactly <laughs> but it's interesting that this news came out i was expecting a trailer for monsters which is supposed to air in january and it is another story by oda focused on one of the rona Rosoro's ancestors which we got a mm. little bit of we got to meet in wano or get a little bit of a flashback on in wano um apparently it's supposed to be one episode probably an hour or something like that but the the news the latest news on that front was oh it's going to be released next month so everyone's expecting the trailer and then this hits and we're like what 
I'm still processing it myself, guys. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Um, and of course, you know, so that's a, a, a little, normally we have whole episodes dedicated <laughs> to, to year recaps. So I'm like, here's your, here's, here's this amount of time. So it's a lot of information overload. But of course, all of this is on social media and, and, of, and uh, the episodes that we've covered before. We've, we've done this in our, our catalog. So we covered a lot of heavy hitters and our, 2024 season is shaping up again to be extremely busy with the rate <laughs> that news is dropping. But of course, uh, one of the notable animes also that I, I didn't quite announce on purpose because I wanted to invite our guest because he watched it, you guys. <laughs> he watched it. I'm so happy um, that I wanted to transition to talk about, uh, of course, is Blue Eyed Samurai. That has been a massive hit. Again, Netflix has figured it out for anime fans, at least this year, you guys. It looks good for 2024, but Blue-Eyed Samurai is one of the other reasons why Netflix has kicked in the door and is like, hi, I'm here. I'm here to play with all the other studios right now <laughs> that are dropping anime. So Alex, you watched this. In fact, you were messaging me super excited. I um, did. So I wanted to just hear your thoughts about why this anime really captured your attention. Why you just you were you gravitated towards, especially somebody to somebody who's relatively new to the genre. What was it that you loved about it? Yeah. So for someone who is kind of an outsider looking in, I'm oftentimes a bit intimidated to dive into an anime thing because I just feel like I lack the context and the and the the understanding of the genre to just jump in and be like, oh, this is what's going on here. So I'm always a little bit trepidatious to jump in. But uh, this series started popping up on a lot of uh, mainstream critics' top ten lists at the end of the year. And who typically do not review anime at all, never mind rank them in the top 10 of the year. And that got me interested because I was like, hmm, if these people are saying it's good, then maybe there's more than just like an anime thing happening that there's just like there's a lot going on. Also, the fact that it was an hour long show instead of a uh, half hour made me feel like they were setting things apart. So that piqued my interest in a way that to anime fans probably sounds very snobby and I apologize. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm glad that it piqued my interest for however I got in there because it's ultimately a fantastic series from top to bottom. I devoured it in a week. It was incredible. I've been recommending it to tons of people who don't typically watch anime. Um, I found out someone that I work with is a is an Invincible fan and is frustrated that Invincible is on hiatus. I was like, if you're mad that Invincible is on hiatus, you have to watch Blue Light Samurai. And I think that for people who who are in a similar boat, and you haven't given it a chance, you really should. Because if it was just about the main character uh, and their quest for revenge on the four white men who may be their father, which is what the premise is, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, that's, um, that alone would have been really compelling uh, because the acting is tremendous. The writing, the character development is so good. The animation is exquisite. But this show actually spends the time to flesh out all of these supporting cast members, making a fully developed ensemble of people that you care about. When you're first starting out, I got a little impatient when I was like, oh, we're going to spend more time with this guy. We're going to spend more time with this guy. But very quickly, I was like, no, I want to spend as much time with everyone as I possibly can for as long as I can. Because there's not a single miss character in the bunch. There's no dud. Every character has a compelling arc. Every character has depth and nuance and comedy and drama and intrigue and ambition and 
it's just such an incredible series. And again, animation is spectacular as well. Some of the most beautiful, poetic, brutal, violent, erotic animation I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I was I so the first time I was watching I think the first episode, Seth walked in the room. I was like, and eh, we're gonna pause it because I was like, it's like it's the full blown nudity is happening here, and I'm like, yeah, ah! uh-huh. I was like, okay, wait, I was like, buddy, go over there, go over there. But Alex, you sold it so well because it it was absolutely captivating. And you're right about the side characters. Like I was so invested in the Akemi um, Tigan storyline, and then of course you know kind of the 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 teasing there of that whole you know of course he's pursuing Mizu for revenge. She cut off his 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 knot, but then the relationship between them starts to deepen. And then Ringo, can we talk about Ringo, guys? Like he's Ringo's great, Ringo's played great. by uh, Masioka from Heroes. Of yes. course, I was so delighted to find out that's who it was. This this cast is incredible. Maya Erskine yes. plays the lead Mizu. She is so fantastic. I love her, and she's most notable for uh, Pen Fifteen, which is a, a wild TV show that is 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 really good, but. If you don't like it, I understand why. (laughs) But she's such a great performer. She's going to be in this Mr. and Mrs. Smith show uh, next year with Donald Glover. And um, I could definitely see why after watching her in this. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, people can act, but voice acting is an entirely different art. And to be able to carry both and do both of those successfully. I mean, that's that skill right there. And and. I was so excited to find out Seki was George Takai. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah! <laughs> Perfect casting. Brenda's song as Akimi is unbelievable. I think she's a really talented actress that I feel like has not gotten a lot of really good roles over her career. She's been in a lot of things, but I feel like a lot of the times she's just she's cast as like, oh, she's like the pretty girl and the and whatever. And it always seemed like there was more that she could do. Um, like I always think about her in my favorite movie, The Social Network, where she is just like literally yes. Andrew Garfield's crazy ex girlfriend, um, quite literally <laughs> turning <laughs> down this office building. But um, I love hear that she, they, they give her such a meaty part and she just absolutely devours it there's she has she's probably a character that changes the most over the course of the season she gets the full kind of like from this point like point a to b to c to d we follow it all and she, she grows and evolves and changes and really comes into her own as her own kind of hero that is distinct from mizu but complementary in really interesting ways and i just i loved her so much i also thought uh darren um barrett who is from who i know and love from never have i ever um as paxton hall yishida the hottest guy in school uh he yeah. is fantastic it, as taigan and it's just perfect casting again this show has kenneth brana as the thank you irish man like i mean come on this is incredible incredible mm. well, voice guests and, and they kenneth use them Brana. Yeah, and kenneth brana he's like you know, the guy you love. Like, I don't, I can't recall. And Alex, you're going to, you would know, I feel like the last time Kenneth Branagh was like a crazy hardcore villain. I, I feel like he's got some of those in there. I, he does. I mean, he was, he was most, I think most recently in Tenant, he was the mm. big yes, bad playing like right. a, a Russian bad guy who's like, I'm going to destroy the past because of the future, whatever the hell was going on in Tenant. <laughs> but here, he's basically like doing a Liam Neeson impression, which I yes. love. <laughs> and it's so excellent he's he's so great he doesn't get to flex his villain chops that often and seeing him in this capacity was and he's got great chemistry with randall park who is just so 
so over uh, Bajaya Fowler's bullshit after yes. 15 years or whatever it's been. So, oh, so good. Everything about well, the show is incredible. Josh, I have probably, you watched it? Yeah. I haven't yet, but I <sighs> need to. I mean, I've heard the hype and certainly, Alex, your recommendation means a lot in my book. So I need to watch this. I uh, just haven't got to. I've been so busy catching up with Apothecary Diaries and some yeah. other things. But uh, no, this is on my list at the top. Definitely. It's got to be on the top of everybody's list because it is just so, so good. And some of the storytelling that it does is honestly very sophisticated and layered in ways that is just really, really incredible. Like there's episode five, I think is a big standout episode, The Tale of the Ronin and the Bride. Yes. We basically have this like frame narrative of this like classic tale of the Ronin and the Bride. And but and it's told in this sort of like paper mache folklore kind of way while also being so that is like the frame narrative that is like metaphorically related to what's happening but not literally so but commenting on it in interesting ways and then what's literally happening is this incredible kind of siege on this pleasure parlor uh uh, and then inside of that is the the backstory to Mizu that we really haven't gotten yet. So you've got this like Russian nesting doll of storytelling and it all complements each other. And when it hits that crescendo, it's so incredibly powerful. And I mean, it, there's so much storytelling ambition on this show. that It's just really remarkable. It's in my top 10 of the year. It's number six right now for me yeah. overall out wow. of 68 TV shows that I watched. So that's a, about as high a compliment as I could pay it. And I yeah. was about to say, if Alex has painted that kind of compliment, you guys, he knows his stuff. <laughs> he really does. So trust us when we say, go watch this anime. And I'm going to say, Alex, is it safe to say that this is your anime recommendation for the month? Or do you have a new one for us? Well, on that note, I do kind of have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. And I know we talked about maybe doing it later, but I think this is a perfect time to bring it up, Ooh. which is that I, after many, many months of both of you, verisifully <laughs> making me begging me imploring me to to watch this show i finally did i watched all 36 episodes of spy family season yes! one and season two yes, I'm all yes, caught yes. up for the finale next week yes what did you think dying to know it's delightful it's so fun it's i've been telling people it's this like sugary sweet confection of a tv show um because it's just so silly and and i love the characters and i had one major problem with season one and then season two came around and completely solved it so i'm like okay i have no complaints now because this show is so fun it's anya forager is just like a national treasure an international treasure we need to protect her at all costs i agree i listened to your last episode on this (laughs) she's so i just love the things where like where uh lloyd is just being like very serious kind of like i'm handling this situation properly and then anya comes around and just like oh (laughs) papa's a bad liar (laughs) (laughs) the the deadpan comic timing of it is great i love all the stuff with her in the school i love her damon and all that stuff i i love her friend becky and how much she has a a weird crush on lloyd is is great um (laughs) Uh, yours brother is a real question mark for me. I, yeah. I, I yeah. appreciate the show going there, but I'm still kind of curious why we're going that hard uh, at that. But it's, it's an anime. I, mean, 
I guess. Well, you know, I guess if incest is good enough for uh, Game of Thrones, I guess it's good enough for my family. Uh, I don't know what to tell you on that one, but um, yeah, uh, aspirational incest, I should say. Yours is is, is without fault, but her brother uh, clearly. Uh, yeah, that was. I was like, wow, they're really doing that. Okay, um, but yeah, the only big problem that I had with season one was that we set up this whole thing where it's the three characters, right, and they each have a secret life that they can't share with anybody else. And you get a bunch of really fun episodes where Lloyd is on an adventure, a side quest, missions that he has to keep secret. And Anya's on an adventure and side quest that she has to keep secret. And then yours side quest is like, I need to learn how to cook. And you're like, wait, no, you're a, an assassin. What are we doing? Why are we not getting any episodes no. about how you're a crazy, cool assassin living a double life? Instead, it's all just like anxieties around if she's a good enough mom. And just like, come on, like, what are we doing? That's ridiculous in 2023. So, but what I was delighted by was then season two comes around mm. and seven out of the 11 episodes that have aired so far are about how she's a crazy, cool assassin lady. So no. now I have no complaints. I'm, I'm fully, I'm fully fine. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's oh, yeah. so, cru- it's, it's a, I love this show. It's really fun. Yeah. The, the, I'm so excited. The cruise ship arc is, is yes. that is, oh. just, and it's so good. I, I, yes. I, was waiting for it to get animated because I'm caught up in the manga because I, I don't miss the manga. So it's so, so good. And the whole thing where she went on the date with Lloyd with the bullet in her butt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Still is comedy gold. Oh. So funny. And all, and just like, man. And I, and I love that. Like she gets the blowfish poison and you're like, Oh no, it's going to happen. It's like, Oh, she's like so immune to poisons that that only like helped her feel better. Finally. <laughs> so that was a great twist. And little Anya coming in as a, as an assassin junior threatening the guy to stop blowing up bombs that was wonderful i love i love blonde he's obviously the best that whole arc where he goes on that you guys talked about in your last episode where he he's so deathly afraid of of (laughs) of (laughs) yours cooking that he goes on a secret mission um that was wonderful um i love that he's he got jealous of the penguin and and killed him that was great (laughs) and then he apologized by giving anya peanuts beautiful stuff um also i admire their restraints because they have a dog that could see the future and that could just you could lean on that every episode and it could feel really contrived and and they really go to it exactly as often as you would want them to go to it so i appreciate that um but yeah it's it's a really fun show it's a really fun show the yeah. whole, i would say that i only have one complaint now and it's the nightfall character mm. uh i think she's kind of a disaster of a character she's just like a <laughs> she's just like a russian nesting doll of misogynistic tropes and it's just like i don't know why we need this in a tv show or it's like oh everybody hates her because she's so ambitious but it turns out her ambition is really just a mask for how much she loves her mentor and that and it's like what are we and now she's gonna fight the other woman on the show because of it it's just like what why is this here i don't i don't get that at all but thankfully it's been few and far between in terms of episodes with her so yeah she she's a lot i i will say i did enjoy the uh the tennis match between her and, and your that that yeah. did give the me tennis a, a match chuckle. Was very fun because the whole thing of like they go up against increasingly ridiculous uh, opponents like they really did a good job of escalating that um i love that they like the the one the brother team takes steroids and then becomes like giant hulking <laughs> monsters and then they're just like and then you don't even get to see 
the match because they beat them so easily. So that was fun. Like our our guys, the the steroid guys lose uh, if you haven't watched. But yeah, so that that was very fun. Um, but yeah, I just hate that. Like she's in love with Lloyd. Like why do we need that? Although I do get why anyone would be in love with Lloyd because he is quite dreamy, even though he is a total dummy. Also, so you know there is that. He's um, like an adorable dummy though. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, I, I just I loved this this the episode where there was the rival spy that was hired and he was like, I'm gonna be the best spy ever. I'm gonna take down Twilight and then like like Lloyd has to keep fixing all of his mistakes because he's just uh, like professionally offended by how bad he is at being a spy. <laughs> that was very funny. Oh, and I some love- of the stuff with the kids are great yes. too. Like the one, the one episode where like the the one boy thinks he's it's his last day at school because his father's company has been destroyed and disgraced, and then he, everyone like is finally is like sympathetic to him, and they give him all this stuff, and they sing a song, and it's so beautiful. And then he comes home, and he's like, "You're still going to school? What are we made lots of money off of that deal?" <laughs> and then he has to <laughs> show up the next day, and everybody's mad at him. Ah, so great. Becky oh. is a is also a treasure. She's fantastic. That when they go shopping together and it's like mm. they finally are friends and and you get the flashback from her caretaker of all the times that she was mean to everybody in her life and it was and, but anya it's okay so I, I i love it it's really good i have a question for you guys though now having okay. watched it all so they've now gone a season and a half with no puncture in the everyone is keeping their own secret how long do you want them to keep that going for because mm. like question. at some point they're going to have to learn each other's secrets and work together to solve a problem because their secrets are so complementary towards each other. And a lot of the fun comedic tension is that if they all only knew what the other ones were capable of, they would solve this problem so much easier than they are right now because they're all lying to each other. But I feel like at some point that's going to have to break through and they're going to have to be a united front for real. And I'm curious how long you think that's going to last. It's a good question. Amanda, what do you think? You know, it's just going to be just, I feel like it's going to be dependent on how successful the manga is. And that's where Mm. a lot of, as long as the manga continues to go, I could see it going at least another couple of years. um, Before they reveal their secrets to each other? Manga storytelling is long-term storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It depends on how fast the episodes are, are released. So usually if there's enough content, it's going to take at least a couple of years because if you're looking at animation, you're looking at the story progressing. I mean, the story is already far ahead, you know, in, I mean, we're past the cruise ship arc in the the manga at this point. I mean, I could see it going realistically, I would hope at least another probably two years. Um, If you're looking at seasons and, and, you know, kind of releases and all of that, I hope it's not like a One Piece and I love One Piece. I love, obviously, we know it's my favorite, but yes. But even with Jujutsu Kaisen or Attack on Titan, like, you know, I want to say what those were like, what, average five years, maybe four? For because Jujutsu Kaisen should be coming to an end in December of 2024, the manga. So that was maybe what, four, five years? So I could see this going another two, at least, probably longer, probably even up to four or five because of how successful it has been. So, but that's going to be a stretch. It's going to be a stretch to carry that storyline. So I definitely think at least two. Yeah. I'm in terms of time. I'm not sure. I feel like for dramatic purposes, they won't have that 
revelation until we start getting the romance like more solidified because i think then it'll have the most dramatic impacts like once lloyd and you are finally stop being idiots and recognize that they do (laughs) you know love each other um i think that's when we're going to get the reveal because i think that's going to be probably the most impactful time and bring up the questions like okay it's one thing if they found that out when they were you know not acknowledging their feelings and just going through the the marriage in order to achieve their goals but for them to find out once they actually realize that they were made for each other how does that impact their relationship i think is again probably the most uh, impactful way that could come out so don't have a, a timeline on when that'll happen but that's my prediction that I was... hope it, what I hope is that at the end of this season, we get some sort of a cliffhanger that alludes to the fact that maybe one of the mysteries, one of the secrets will be exposed. And then you spend some time in the first half of season three kind of building that out. And then by the end of season three, one of the big secrets is out there. Looking at the manga... That's not going to happen. But that would be ideal. Although manga, though, I mean, anime does adapt and condense a lot of the episodes just depending on how many yeah. episodes are released. So that's, that is a possibility. I can see that being season four versus right. season three, okay. but it's coming. I feel like it's coming around the corner, though. Who's, I who's do like secret? how bad Anya is at keeping her secret, and people are just like, she's such a crazy, she's so crazy, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, <laughs> See, And I was going to ask you guys, which of the three secrets do you think is going to be revealed first? Oh, I think that, um, I think Kor, uh, uh, Yar, I think Yar being an assassin is going to come out first. Because mm. Lloyd's going to figure it out eventually. Like, it's kind of crazy that he hasn't yet. It's 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 great that he hasn't, because it just shows what, like, a total dummy he is. That he's just like, well, this must be about my mission. It's like, guy, pay attention. <laughs> but I think that's what'll come out first. What do you think, I think Josh? Anya's going to be the last thing. I think even oh. though she would be the most efficient thing to come out, because they could both really use her help, I think they're just too much comedy gold in her reading everyone else's thoughts but no one knowing and as soon as as soon as people know that she can read their thoughts it just kind of it'll change the show so i think that'll be the last to go no but i think she'll continue to continue to accidentally tell people stuff all the time and they just don't believe her or have realized what she's saying (laughs) like the whole thing of like when she like was taking notes following her dad around his his work (laughs) and then he finally gets his notebook at the end of the day and and she's like, oh no, he'll see all this secret mission stuff. And you just see the pages, there's a bunch of scribbly nonsense that you can't make heads or tails of. <laughs> so I think there's going to be a lot more of that in the future. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there's just too much comedic potential for them to not be aware of Anya's secret. So I think yours is likely the first one to come out. Um, but I do love just how dumb Lloyd is. Like he's clearly like the smartest guy in the room who is so oblivious and I, you can't beat that. So good. he just, he takes himself so seriously and yes. that that's what makes him then have these blind spots. That, and that's perfect comedic timing. I think it's just so good. It's really fun. It's a very fun show. I love speaking of that episode when she goes to to work with him, like when she's in the in the ceiling and she mm. accidentally convinces a bunch of very serious psychiatrists that like ghosts are real and haunting the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> so funny. Uh, oh, uh, so good, so good. Oh it's man, it's a great show. People it should is. definitely listen to these two over here and watch it because I'm glad that I finally did. It took me a year and a half, but everyone was right. It's great. It's so fun. 
Y'all, y'all miss it. Y'all can't see it, but Josh and I did a happy dance, like happy <laughs> arms. We threw arms in joy because. And how did you keep this secret from both of us? That is tough. It was so we'll hard. <laughs> there are so many times I wanted to text you guys, but I was like, no, I have to. It's going to be better if I wait. But luckily, we, have, we had other content to talk about. So that, that, that helps. Yeah. I'm sure that helped a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think yours is going to be revealed first. Although I feel like maybe Lloyd would be last only because his has been the focal point of the series. I feel like they're gonna, it's going to be like neck and neck. I feel like it's going to be Anya very quickly and then like Lloyd has to reveal it because of Anya, I feel like. I, I think that what's going to probably happen is that Yor is going to end up accidentally coming up against her brother as the secret Ooh. police. And Lloyd is going to find out about that. And in finding out about what's going on with that, he'll find out your secret and then intervene to help protect her from hurting probably not protect her from getting hurt but protect her from like having to kill her brother basically (laughs) yeah i feel like that i mean if you're talking about the most like dramatic potential like that's the setup that you would want oh that's true Mm. that's true more to come and i'm sure once season three drops we will be talking about it Yes. For Absolutely. sure, for sure. Maybe Alex, we can have you back for that one. Oh, I'm 100 percent going to come back now. When yeah, nice. Yeah. Yay! We have converted him. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh my success. gosh. So Josh- I watched it. I watched it all on Hulu. But you can watch the if you're in the US, you can watch the English dub. I watched all subs because you know if I'm going to do anime, I'm going to do it the right way. Uh, but if you want to do the English dub, the first season English dub is now available on Disney Plus through the Hulu tile on Disney Plus. So, oh, I didn't know that. And I want yeah. to say it's also if you're on Amazon, if you have Prime, you can also pull the first season. I want to say too on the Crunchyroll. They the Crunchyroll is now partnered with Amazon, so you can just oh, like okay. if you have Paramount Plus or you know Stars, same idea for Crunchyroll. So. Yeah. Ah, exciting news. Thank you, Alex, for that. We're so, so, <laughs> so happy. So, Josh, do you have an anime recommendation for this month? Oh, man. Uh, catching up on Jutsu Kaisen has been heart wrenching. Like, I've been devastated for the last month. Um, I, I will say. I, it, a slight win over that would be Apothecary Diaries. I've yes. really, really enjoyed that. Um, it's been so cute. I, I love um, my mount. She's so hilarious. Um, the just like the deadpan humor she has, especially whenever she's um, talking with uh, Jinchi, just pure comedy gold. It's it's wonderful. I I would highly recommend this show to anyone who is actually not into anime because while it does have some anime qualities to it it's essentially like a period piece nancy drew like that's really what it is um because she's she's really here like solving like these mysteries and there's this court intrigue uh between all the different uh courtesans but you know it's it's not really what most people would expect from an anime i mean it's it's certainly not a shonen like it is a shoujo um but even in that, like, it's not like the kind of thing you'd expect from a shoujo. Like, there is some hints at romance, but like, that's not really what it's about. Um, so I've I've loved it, and uh, yeah, I'm I don't know. I I've got caught up, and then I kicked myself. Like, why do I do this? Why do I get caught up, and now I have to wait for next week? This is brutal. Oh, so. I'm in that zone with you too. Uh, Solid recommendation. Oh my gosh, Mao Mao is her humor is so on point, and I love that she is 
not the I'm weak and helpless mm. trope or that she relies on like her looks or anything like that that sometimes is common in the anime yeah. genre. Um, she is a strong character. Her humor is hilarious the way she interacts with the other courtesans. Like the yeah. looks, the the uh, what episode six where she's looking at the one courtesan where she's like, she threatened to do something to her mm. and just the deadpan look on her face and the courtesan's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, she is hilarious and her interactions with Genji are gold yeah. gold so good and uh, i have to say like we have had so many good anime openings this year but this oh my goodness this is like what a banger like i get this stuck in my head constantly 24 7 um love this song i'm just dancing along with the opening every time it's like i know crunchyroll gives me the option to skip it no way same. i have to watch it every single time it's on oh, my anime playlist songs. Yes. Spy Family has great yeah. songs also. Yes. The end the end song to the first batch of season one, I literally like downloaded onto my phone because it's like hey. such a bop. Yay! Uh, nice. uh. That's how I feel about the uh the opening song for part two of season one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that is also very good. Oh yeah. The music is so music is important. If it, I mean, if it has, makes you stick. That that one that you just said, Josh, that has that sort of vibe of like tr- it, it felt like they were doing the same thing that like uh WandaVision did in their eighties mm. episode, you yes. know? Where mm. it's like you get that whole kind of like, We're making it up as we go along and we made this family and it's it's like upbeat and all the little pictures are great and yeah, I I, I enjoyed that as well. If mm. definitely like sitcom throwback vibes, which is perfect for that show. Yeah. Oh, oh man solid solid recommendations here you guys i i'm gonna round it out with um uh, actually normally i'd recommend a series because there have been some great ones with this fall these these fall releases here the apothecary diaries being one of those um i'm actually gonna roll with another movie and alex and i have talked about it but suzumi mm-hmm. on yes. Crunchyroll. it was in theaters for a bit and now it's streaming on Crunchyroll. wow you guys that was so good. I was laughing. I was crying. I mean, basically, you're following. You know, it's a very beautiful story. I feel like of first. I feel like first love. It's a coming of age story, and it's a, a very different way of telling it in a beautifully, beautifully drawn manner. I watch. I did watch the dub for this one because uh, at first I started. I normally watch subs for everything, but I did the dub because I was cleaning, and I'm like, well, I need to put something on, and I'm like, okay, movie. It'll be long enough, and then I just hooked hooked so the the dub was very good um i did watch a little bit in sub as well so i kind of switched because i like to hear hear voices too so not like crazy people voices but you know anime voices i was like that came out completely wrong the way that sounded um but you know with the way i was cleaning probably crazy woman cleaning mode um but beautiful story you're following suzumi's a 17 year old high school student she's on her way to school one day riding her bike you know she lives with her aunt you know she's an orphan and she's she's riding to school on her bike. She sees this like really good looking graduate student. Well, you find out he's a graduate student, but guy on the road just walking and she's intrigued. And, you know, they, they have a brief conversation for a minute and then she follows him to these ruins and she finds out that he she sees a door in the middle of these ruins, just just a floating door. And she goes and she opens the door and this red worm looking thing kind of comes out. And, you know, she's trying to close the door. There's a little statue that turns into a cat and it runs away. And of course, the guy runs over and he's like, hey, hold on a minute. Like they have to shut the door. Um, and that's going to be Sota. 
that they so 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 tense Suzumi are trying to shut this door the cat turns him into a chair <laughs> and it's like a little childhood chair it's a really cute little like everybody had one of those little play sets I feel like as a little kid and you have little tiny miniature chairs um it she turns into a chair He's missing that, a leg no missing uh, yes that's right missing a leg that her mother made for her yes oh my gosh you guys so good I didn't think I was going to be as emotionally attached to this chair as, as I was because Sota just nails it I mean just the, the voice acting the writing it, it turns out that you know only she and Sota can see the these doors and if they are opened this worm comes out and causes these massive natural disasters like earthquakes in particular that can harm a lot of people so he travels around japan closing these doors and this mystery cat that turns him into a three-legged chair is one of the keystones for that that keeps the stability that keeps these doors closed so they're, they're traveling all over japan to not only close doors as they're opening and save people, but to try to track down this cat to turn Shota back into a person, like a human, and as he's losing himself in this chair um, and becoming the chair essence and be beautiful storytelling. I think a lot of us can identify with that first love feeling where you feel like you would go to the ends of the world and put yourself in ridiculous situations for a person that you love. And then the relationship between her and her aunt the relationship that you're exploring between Suzumi and her mom. Oh my gosh. It just even the revelation at the end about how kind of Suzumi can see all the doors. Beautifully done. The music was fantastic. I cried like a baby because it's like, I remember the first time I fell in love and feeling like, would I have hitchhiked across Japan and probably have done that for the first time I fell in love? Yes. Because you think you're invincible and you feel like you follow this person to the ends of the world. The way the movie ends was perfectly done. Doesn't it doesn't hear less happy ending and put them together? I was I was fine with that. I, again, I feel like beautifully done, Alex. You had thoughts on this one too. You and I yes. talked about it. That was that's my recommendation for the month. But what did you think about Suzumi? I loved this. I thought this was an incredible film. It was one of my the fa my favorite things that I watched all summer. I had the chance to actually see this in theaters, and I took a trip to New York City and had a little bit of extra time unexpectedly, and I found a small tiny theater that was playing this, and I was so happy that I did. And um and I was primed to not have a good time because as I sat down in that theater, it was a very small theater, and I was by myself, and there was just two other people there, and it was this couple who were clearly like college students because we were in the kind of NYU area and he was and they were clearly on a date and the guy was explaining to the girl all of the very important film opinions that he had about movies that she, he was sure she had never heard of um, like Pulp Fiction and, and, <laughs> and oh, The Shining and it was just like you were the most obnoxious film bro person that I can't believe I'm actually witnessing this in the wild um, the, listening to you mansplain uh, and so that was what was happening and then the lights went down down. And I was like, oh man, I'm in such a bad mood all of a sudden. <laughs> and then I watched this movie and it just took my breath away and I absolutely cried and it's so beautiful. And I, lo I loved um, uh, Mikado uh, Shinkai's film from a couple years ago, Your Name. Uh, again, not a big anime person, but we're hitting on things that I've seen and loved. So I'm ha I'm very lucky this month. <laughs> so, but I think your your name is an incredible film. I think this is probably not quite at that standard, but it is certainly beautiful, and it really it has a 
it has what I like to call a secret fourth act where you are following this third three act progression of story and you think that you know where things are ending and then all of a sudden the ending that you think that you're in like a trap door opens up and there's like a whole another act of the movie and you realize actually the movie was about all these other things and it was bigger and grander and more emotional than you could have ever imagined and uh that is I love when movies can do that. uh, And this is definitely one of them. And also just when the spirit cat realizes that um, uh, Susume is mad at her and she goes and this whole time he thought that they were playing a game and then he realizes that she doesn't love him actually anymore because of what's happened and she loses all of her color and gets super like uh like skinny because she's not filled with the love of susume anymore and she's just like susume doesn't love me and it it just like absolutely broke my heart i'm just like i know you're mad susume but be nice to that cat it's not her fault she doesn't know any better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh so 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 good josh have you seen suzume oh, that's another um, one where i'm ashamed to say i have not where both of you have recommended to me and i have failed so josh, I, you're I, always saying that you take my recommendation so seriously but you're always saying but i haven't listened to you this time <laughs> no I, I i take them seriously and then i'm very slow to act on them but i uh, will act on them right he, like he Lloyd will. forager yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, he did say he Serious was a Lord Forger of the Sport. <laughs> he is the Lord Forger of the Sport podcast. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, gotta be a little bit of a lovable idiot. You should try so. that hairstyle out, Josh. I think you could really. I think you could rock it. No, no, maybe you'll come to the <laughs> I, next podcast. If like got that green suit on and everything. Nice. I'm like, I'm here for the Lloyd cosplay. So let's. Uh, that's if you ever do a cosplay, gotta see it. Gotta see it. You gotta send us a picture. It's just yeah, a shoot. It's just a suit with like swoopy blonde hair. I mean, that's pretty, that must huh. be easy to pull off. <laughs> I hear that. I'll have to see if I can convince my wife to be your. If we can do that couples cosplay, then we'll be yes. here. Picture, send us a picture when you do it. So <laughs> I'll be excited that dress to see that she it. wears as an assassin is pretty incredible. So if mm. you could, if you could replicate that, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, I'll keep you two informed. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yes, but. Thank you guys for sharing your anime recommendations. And I think now is a good time to take a quick break and show some love to the awesome podcasts that are cultivated by Alex and by many of our talented podcasters across the board right here on the Pop Break. Hey, folks, welcome to our one night show. Just take a seat. They're always free. On every pod you cast, a podcast dedicated to the rock band The Police, we, that's me, Dustin Mancini, Chris Mancini, and Randy Elaine, discuss each of the Power Trio studio albums from 1978 to 1983, sharing our general thoughts, favorite songs, not-so-favorite songs, favorite lyrics, and favorite musical moments. We get into the nitty-gritty of all the inspired tunes, juvenile tussles, broken drumheads, and grotesque puppetry that represent the legacy of this incredible Power Trio. Come check us out every first Thursday of the month. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make socially distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. 
So listen to the Socially Distanced Podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. And we are back. So yes, please make sure to check out some of those other wonderful podcasts here at the Pop Break. So guys, let's dive into our main feature of the podcast. We're going to be talking about The Boy in the Heron, the latest Miyazaki film, which was originally framed as his final film. Since then, kind of walked that back. Um, but very excited sort to hear of. it. Sort of. Very noncommittal about what it's going to look like. Um, so before we dive into it, though, just want to check, did both of you see it in the uh, the sub, or did you see the, the dub? Which version did you see? Start with well, you, Alex. I, I saw it in the sub, because as I've said, if I'm going to do anime, I'm going to go all the way. Respect the art form. Um, now, Amanda, you are not as respectful as me, as far as I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I usually do watch everything in sub. I do. Um but with Studio Ghibli, I always make an exception. I usually watch it in the dub because of the, the English voice actors that are picked. Mm. And I'm intrigued to see how they do. So I watched this in dub because there was a lot of hype about this cast. Okay. Okay. And I also watched it in sub. So we got two sub okay. to one dub. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know this is coming from the person, again, who watches subs religiously. So <laughs> temptation was there, though. The temptation it, was there when I was picking my showtime. It is understandable to want to do it in the dub for a Ghibli film because Ghibli is very uh, dedicated to, at least in the last 15 years or so, really trying to make sure that they put out a premium product for English language mm-hmm. audiences. There was an, uh, there We could probably link to this in the show notes, a great piece by IndieWire talking about how they produced the English language uh, dub of this and the different choices that they made. For instance, I heard that uh, the reason why Robert Pattinson was cast in the role of the Heron is that uh, Ghibli insisted on a hot actor in the role, and that was important for the for the role for some reason, which I think is interesting given what that role is. But um, yeah, so there's other things like that, like Christian Bale being in this as the father in the same way that the Japanese voice actor who played Howl in Howl's Moving Castle is also the father in this uh, in this movie. So because Christian yeah. Bale was the English. Uh, dub uh, Howl and Howl's Moving Castle. So they tried really hard to make sure that it was thoughtful, and I'm sure that it, they did a really good job. It was not just like a cast-off kind of like, hurry, we got to put some English voice actors in there. But yeah. um, I still feel like you got you to gotta go with the sub. Yeah, I have to agree. Although it it was a stacked English voice cast. I mean, they got two Batmans. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and the almost, Batman... Almost as many Batmans as The Flash had, so... Uh, with better animation. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Much better animation. Alex, I thought you were like banned from ever talking about that film ever again. If I had to experience it, you all have to remember it. That's my role. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay. So we have some different perspectives on the, uh, the sub versus dub front. So I'm sure that'll come into a conversation later, but just curious diving in to start. Um, it's about your expectations. So Alex going into this, how hyped were you for this movie? I was very hyped in the sense that I I had like a long history uh, with Miyazaki as someone who I was like, I have to watch all of his stuff, but I want to be able to do it in a time where I could just sit down and watch it from start to finish 
track his progression as an artist, see his full filmography. And I ended up delaying that until I really could devote that time to that and had the resources to do it, which came in 2020, uh, 2019. So the summer of 2019, I watched all of his films in nice. order for the first time. Huge fan of almost every one of them, honestly. There's not a bad film in there. Certainly some films I like more than others, of course. Uh, and I thought, okay, that's it. I've experienced Miyazaki. That's it. And then shortly thereafter, we got the news that he's making one more film. Now, I know now Ghibli is saying like, well, he's still coming. He has some ideas. He might come back to do something else. We don't want to label this his last film. That The tenor of that all feels like people just being polite because he is in an advanced age and they don't want him to say like, well, you're not capable of doing this anymore it's not very unlikely that you're going to spend the next six years of your life making another film for us right so i think it's just people are being polite which he certainly deserves that deference but um i think it's pretty reasonable to assert this as his last film and i was very interested that he was coming back for one more time because the wind rises seemed like such a definitive way to end his filmography it has so many uh, so the subtext of that is so interested in legacy and lineage and art versus commerce and all of this stuff that felt like a great sort of, you know, uh, end note for a really interesting career. And to come back, like, well, what is it that is making you come back? What is the last thing that you realize that you have to say that you didn't know? And so that made me very interested. And then, you know, it came out uh, in, in some of the festivals and critics got to see it and everybody said, fantastic so by the time i was in theaters i could not wait to see what it was nice nice yeah and glad that you uh again you always did the homework yeah you, you put the time in alex <laughs> appreciate that um amanda how were you feeling coming to this movie is this something that was high on your anticipated list i was excited about it because you know studio ghibli films normally are very very good they're very very they're i feel like they're a whole different level of anime in a lot of ways because you don't you know the storytelling is complex it's simple yet com- it's complex and the animation is beautiful and you know again i you know and i have watched the subs for most of the studio ghibli films because you know again i that's just my my personal preference um but you know you always hear about you know the 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 english voice cast too like there's a lot of hype i think more so for Studio Ghibli films in that regard with the dubs, whereas in the traditional anime world, the dubs are hit or miss, <laughs> uh, saying that nicely. Um, so I was really high. I was hyped for it. I was excited for it, especially, you know, hearing that it was going to be, you know, Miyazaki's last film too. I was like, okay, like I'm going to get emotional. It's going to be really good. And, you know, I agree with you, Alex. I think it's a, it's a polite way of saying, yeah, you have ideas. It takes, but it takes you a long time to, to put the story together to animate and time is not always on our side um <laughs> uh unfortunately so um so i can also realistically see this being his last film a complete film maybe we might get something i can see like a an unfinished project or some you know behind the kind of behind the scenes type of stuff but in terms of complete film i can see this being it too but i was excited to see it in theaters um, I'm glad, and you know, I think even more so hearing the the different nominations that it's getting, mm-hmm. award wise. I want to say Golden Globe, um, mm-hmm. and among among others. But so it's always a fun time, and it's an experience too going to see Studio Ghibli film. Now you've got like Studio Ghibli months in theaters, mm-hmm. and just the experience is is fun too. So I was here for. It. But what do you think, Josh? Were you were you hyped for this too? Oh yeah, I was super excited for this. I I mean, going in thinking and 
again, as you both said, like likely still Miyazaki's last film. Like there was something about this that made it like a cultural moment of like, I need to see this, especially in theaters. Cause un- until this, I'd never seen any of the, um, the Ghibli movies in, in theaters. So like, this is one, like I have to do this. Um, and you know, this was something I've been looking forward to, like since I heard about it and I loved what they did with the, um, kind of the promotional work in Japan and, and to a degree in the U S where like they said nothing about this. They're like, here's the movie. You're going to see it. We're not going to give you anything else. We're not going to give you a trailer. We're not going to give you like synopsis. You're just going to see it because we know you will. Um, and they were right. I mean, they were absolutely right. Um, and yeah, then just hearing it, all the buzz it got. Um, yeah, I believe it was nominated for golden globe for best animated feature and best original score, uh, from Joe Hyashi. So, you know, the buzz was very strong going in. Not that I needed it, but it only kind of further cemented that this was something I had to see. But with that, guys, I mean, did we like it? So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Did you end up liking this film? I did. I liked it quite a bit. It was not what I was necessarily expecting because mm-hmm. what I had heard about the film was like the way that they had announced this originally was it was going to be called How Do I Live, which is what it was, what is still called elsewhere, but in the US they've changed it to The Boy and the Heron, which is such a downgrade of a title, yes. <laughs> fortunately. Yes. Um, but and it was supposedly like Miyazaki said that he wanted to give this as like wisdom to his grandchildren for like what they need to know about life. And I was like, wow, that sounds like it could be kind of like metaphysical. It could be really like emotional. Like what are we getting into? And I think ultimately that it is all of those things, but you start out and you're just like sucked into this, this little boy, Mojito's perspective right away during this incredible crisis moment where uh, the, the he's in Tokyo during the war and they're fired. There's, their their neighborhood is being firebombed and uh, his mother's hospital is attacked and he's running uh, after his father to be a part of the process of trying to save her and you get this like incredibly beautiful horrible imagery of fire just devastating the land the the cityscape and it's you're just like and then all of that stops and you're suddenly like in this you know country home and a year has passed and and then it's this kind of sad drama about this boy who's just dislocated and and emotionally distraught and unable to process his feelings and and then suddenly you're in a magical world with the heron and you're just like what is happening there's so much going on and it ultimately ended up feeling to me like this it worked on this on this like dream logic level where you walk away from it and you you think well i don't know exactly how all of these pieces necessarily fit together or what one thing has to do with the other and what exactly was that about that part of the movie or what was that trying to say but i have this incredibly strong emotional understanding of it all at the end in a way that is really hard to articulate because and it's the sort of thing that just usually you take all when you watch a film you get all of the pieces of the film and it builds into this clear kind of emotional response and instead here it feels like there's so much chaotic elements that feel dissonant and that brings you to this powerful emotional response that you ultimately don't even know necessarily how they 
pulled it off. Like it's like a magic trick almost. Like they threw a bunch of stuff into a stew and now you have hair again, you know? And <laughs> you're just like, wait, well, how did that how did that happen? So it works in this like dream logic way that I think is really powerful. And ultimately, like the more I think about it, the more I like it and the more resonant it feels. So yeah, it really it's really impressive. It's not my favorite Miyazaki film, mm-hmm. definitely. But for for what it is, it's really just it's really something else. And I'm excited to get into more deeply uh, those conversations with you guys. But I want to hear what you thought about it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Amanda, what are your thoughts? Did you end up enjoying the film? I did. I did. It was very, you know, I'm with you, Alex. It's not my favorite Miyazaki film. There's some that are, I feel like, a little bit stronger. And I I know I'm sure we'll probably dive into that here. But um, but I loved the focus on the relationships, even though there was not, I'm, I'm with you. It normally with Miyazaki films, sometimes I feel like there's a bunch of different, like little mini storylines and then they all connect into kind of the master overall arching story. Um, with this, it really did feel like a series of life lessons, you know, kind of, but they, they all didn't connect, but yet each one was, a, you got different lessons, but there's always a, a different relationship and focus. Um, you know, like the relationship with Mahito and his mom, you know, as, as we see later with, with, with Rose. That was like, oh, like the ending of that whole where they're at all at the door together. I was like, I'm, I'm a mess. Like just, okay. Um, you know, the relationship between, you know, Mahito and his stepmother and, you know, Miyazaki always has this neat, neat way of really conveying the emotions behind these relationships that I feel like is a very, you very Miyazaki way of doing things. There's an extra emotional impact that I really feel like only he can do. And nobody else can mimic the way that he communicates with relationships, whether it's again, the relationship between, you know, the heron and Mahito, the, that, those dynamics are so important, I think, and just a a key element of his storytelling. So I was definitely confused at some parts, (laughs) you know, like the whole, you know, with the, the, the grand uncle trying to figure out kind of balance all the blocks. Like I felt like that was very rushed a little bit. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that because I'm like, I'm so confused. I get the general idea, but I'm like, but it's just kind of rushed. You introduced a concept and wait, I'm confused. Um, so there were there were moments where I feel like it got a little bit high level, almost too high level or too abstract in some ways, but in a lot of other ways, classic Miyazaki style, beautifully done. I enjoyed it through and through. But what about you, Josh? Did you did you enjoy it? What did you think? Yeah, I, I'm on a similar note uh, as, as both of you where I, I maybe actually liked it a little bit more. I thought it was really good. Certainly, you know, not my my favorite or did not think it was the best Miyazaki film. But I think it was I think it was a really powerful um, piece of animation. I think as a like a swan song or send off for Miyazaki, I think incredibly fitting Um as much as the wind rises also would have been a you know a, a stellar way to bring his career to an end i think this certainly um on a thematic level on like a personal level is is a great way for him to wrap it up if that is the case um and i'd love that in many ways it is like the greatest hits of ghibli um i mean you've got like the cute little creatures and the waru waru um very much reminded me of like the silt sprites that we saw uh, in earlier Ghibli films, um, you got like the the presence of these uh, these grandmotherly uh, characters. That's again something that comes up a lot in Ghibli movies, um, like the the transition from the the real world to the the fantasy world. Um, you know, so a lot of things we've all seen before. But I think what impressed me the most was that it didn't feel like 
it was kind of going and retreading things that we've done, even though it was using pieces that we've already seen. Um, because for me, like it, it all goes back to what is Miyazaki trying to say with this film? Um, and I think ultimately it is this incredibly, um, you know, powerful um, reflection on grief and um, what it means to, you know, as the superior Japanese uh, title suggests, like, how do you live, you know, following, you know, um, a tragedy? How do you, how do you live following that? Um, but it's also this incredible treatise on art and what it means to create something in the world. And uh, I feel like there's just so much to unpack there. Just, it's so rich. Um, and, and just some of the, the moments, like you, you mentioned, Alex, the beginning with the the fire, like that is just breathtaking animation. And, and there's a few other moments. And animation in a way that we've not seen in a Miyazaki right. movie before. Totally. And I think there's so many moments like that in this movie. And you think this is a man in his 80s. And like to think that he is bringing something new stylistically to the table this deep into his filmography is so impressive. And I understand mm-hmm. that part of the reason for that is that unlike in past productions, he actually delegated a lot of the day-to-day animation supervision to uh, collaborators on this project, which is very much not his typical way of doing things. I think just because of, you know, the his advanced age, he wasn't able to supervise every detail in the same way that he had in the past. Like, he used to just be, you know, until two in the morning every day for years, basically getting, making his his uh, animators just redraw clouds over and over and over and over again, right? So he couldn't do that this time. He had to delegate. And so it was his ideas processed, I think, a little bit more through other animators' um, visions in a way. But then he obviously then okayed. So it's not that he was abandoning the responsibility of the stylistic, but it's more of a collaboration than in the past. And I think you really feel that in very interesting ways. And that is, and I feel like the subtext of this film makes that the perfect mm-hmm. moment for him to be more collaborative because this is so much about like we have this grandmaster standing at the edge of reality, basically playing with his puzzle pieces, saying, I need to. I need you to take over for me to this young boy say, you know, I've created this world and I've done all of these things and there's flaws, but there's beauty and I need you to protect it and I need you to shape it. And in just the way that I have, and the boy ultimately decides to reject that entirely and say, no, I'm going to live my life and, and I don't need to be weighed down by your burdens. I need to forge my own path and I need to, let your world die if it must, because I need to move forward. And I think that's like an incredibly evocative message for any film, let alone a kid's movie. I mean, certainly we've seen a million versions of this story in the past where it's like a kid is told that he is part of something greater and has to fulfill this mission and he resents it and then ultimately uh, rises to the occasion and and maybe he like comes up with a way that the adults that are forcing him to do this like he finds a, a, a new way that people hadn't thought of and but he still makes the choice to take on that responsibility and here in this movie Mihito just rejects it he just mm-hmm. says no I'm going home to the people that I love and none of this it, all of this can go away as far as I'm concerned no. <laughs> because this is your mess that you made and it's like wow that is 
incredible. Uh, I, I think that's just like an incredible thing to have in a film. And I think it's so interesting for it to be in this film where Miyazaki is, it's his likely his last film. And he is trying to seed to another generation of animators and be more collaborative. And, and yet there is a sense of like, if, 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 if Ghibli exists or it doesn't, once he's gone, like it's the world that he built will be gone. Right. And it is up to new people to create their world. And until they reach the point where they themselves are at the top with the gray beard telling the next generation, please take this world that I crafted and, and improve upon my mistakes and the new and that new generation is going to again say, no, I'm going to go off and build my own world and your world can die. And that's just like, I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No. Agreed. 100%. And Amanda, I want to get your thoughts on just like interest the, the you know, your interpretation of, you know, the, the, the themes or messages of the film, especially when it comes to, like, the Grandmaster character. I really wanted more of the Grandmaster character, to be fair. One, it's Mark Hamill. <laughs> Mark Hamill for the, the dub. Um, so, of course, I, I will always... Any more Luke Skywalker, I am... At least Mark Hamill or the Joker, I'm always here for. Um, so, on the English dub side of things, that was, that was very well done. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more because it is Alex you nailed it with your interpretation I feel like it's just it's just the you know the it's an interesting take on the future of the Miyazaki world dare we say the Miyazaki universe should we say that multiverse I guess part of it multiverse (laughs) we'll take it we'll take it um because you know it, it really I really would have liked to have seen just just a, spend a hair more in that universe because again this is I think again like we've talked about potentially the swan song and and you know the, it's a beautiful way of saying the future is wide open because you know going forward there is really nobody in the world who can do what how Miyazaki does there is no other there is no you know in all of anime Studio Ghibli projects. And especially again, how Miyazaki's films, there is no one that does, they're a whole separate level of anime. They completely outside. I feel like one of the few animes that transcends, whether you're an anime fan, whether you're new mm-hmm. to the genre, it is something that speaks to everyone. You know, again, Alex, you're not the, the first person that's not a, a huge anime fan that I've talked to that loves Studio Ghibli. I have many friends, many family that are like, yeah, I don't watch anime, don't really care for it, but Studio Ghibli though. I'm here for it. Um, and just this beautiful way of saying the future is wide open. That and and there's always the hope that and I feel like I feel like Miyazaki threw the gauntlet down a little bit, um, too, where it's okay, I built this world. I so who the next person who comes has I feel like throwing the challenge out there, do better. Do better than me. And that's gonna be neat to see someone else come along that maybe will even transcend what he's done. And and so I feel like there's a, a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a challenge there. Um, again, would have liked to spend a little bit more because of concepts. It was just it was just a fun way to to convey the ideas. Beautifully done. It was unique. And I was like, wait, we're we're leaving already? Wait, no, no. I, I want, you know, I was like, I, I'm still processing this very high level way of communicating that idea. I'm so yeah. confused. I have so many questions. And, no. and it's like, well, how did the grand, uh, you know, grand uncle get to this point? Like, I want to know more about the grand uncle. And like, you know, he disappeared. And like, how did he get here? And, um, you know, all these different, oh, there was so it was, it was such a cool idea. And then, you know, Dave Bautista's 
you know your your pigeon your uh, parakeet, uh, parakeet king. king. Parakeet yeah, king. I heard so I watched the movie and then I heard that he was the parakeet king in the English dub, and I was like, that is incredible casting. Yeah, yeah it was all perfect. point. <laughs> it yeah. was all point. So I cracked up because the way he's animated, the the way the 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 characters animated. The way the character comes across in Dave Bautista, perfect match. I was like, somebody watched Groot, or not Groot, um, Drax, and just threw. It's like a little bit of that sense of humor that Drax has um, has put in, and yeah, perfect casting. But I just, I really wanted to spend more time because I had so many questions. But again, the message was delivered and it was done effectively. And I'm curious to see because again, it's a win for all of us, whether you're an anime fan or whether you're a Studio Ghibli fan. It's a win for us if somebody else comes along and elevates or creates a new legacy uh, off the Miyazaki world. No. Yeah. No, I have to agree with both of you. I, I will say, though, I'm okay with not having spent more time in the world. And I'm, I'm certainly okay with them not explaining more of the world because I think... Th- the dream logic of it, I think, works. Um, and because for a lot of it, I think it is about the message rather than the world building. Like, I, I especially appreciate how, I, don't, I think, even though, like, there, there's clearly something to be said about, like, passing on art to the next generation or entrusting the next generation to, you know, create their own art. I think it's also, like, and, and maybe this is maybe a, a little bit more uh, of a sober kind of, like, reading of it. I think in some ways it's also, like, Miyazaki reflecting on his own work and how he spent so much time in this fantasy world creating art that he really detached himself from the real world where his son who is um, part of Studio Ghibli now has said like I didn't really know my dad growing up like he said like I had to watch my dad's movies to get to know him and so this sense that Miyazaki you know really is this this master who escaped to this alternate world and kind of left the real world behind. And in some ways, Mojito is, you know, a a contradiction to that or kind of a, you know, a call to, you know, dismiss that or reject that lifestyle. Like, no, like you, you shouldn't just kind of hide yourself away in, in this fictional world. Instead, like you need to embrace the real world, even though it's painful, even though there's terrible things that happen that will, tear your heart out like you need to accept it and do the best with it and again i i think this film is so wonderful and that it can provide you know so many different interpretations so i you know i i then i think both are you know very apt ways of reading it yeah well i think that they're both layered inside of each other in the yeah. movie. Right. i don't think it's like one versus the other i think that both True. ideas are there and i think that that is one of the things that makes it so powerful and resonant but another thing that makes it so powerful and resonant is that like this is some really heady stuff that we're talking about right but mm. then also this movie has a moment like when he, the boy wakes up in the night and he's and he runs down to the or he sneaks to the landing of the stairs and looks down and sees that his shoes and his his new stepmother's shoes are there and his father's shoes aren't and then and he sits and he waits for his father to come home and then finally his father's sho- his father appears in those shoes and he sees and it's like that is just such like a incredibly moving tiny tiny mm-hmm. beautiful little art piece right there it just conveys so much it's this little tiny short story about a boy missing his dad and it's just all and it's just conveyed in a couple of images on a screen hand drawn and it's just beautiful and it's like this movie has time for that too and i think that that's and in fact all of those small moments 
help create the emotional context for the big heady themes that we're talking about. It makes it feel like not just this like thought experiment, but truly an emotional experience because they take the time to have those moments throughout. It's, it's really, it's really an incredible achievement. It's, it's tough to talk about Miyazaki thing because it's like, he's responsible for some of the greatest films that have ever been made in the medium. Um, and some of the greatest films ever made period. So when you're judging him against himself, it's easy to be like, well, he's doing some really interesting things, but it's not spirited away. It's like, sure, but also like what other film exists in the last 15 years that is giving you what this film is giving you. So, right. and I feel like that's the sort of thing that the more you think about it and the more you let it wash over you. And I bet the more times you rewatch it, I've only had the chance to watch it once, but I'd love to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet it will only improve in time as a result of that because it's so layered with so many things, big and small. Yeah. No, this is definitely something I need to to rewatch, and I I want to watch the 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 dub. I, I I need to watch. I need my uh yeah. my Batman's going together. Um, <laughs> Alex, what what is your favorite Miyazaki film, or what do you think is the best Miyazaki film? So my favorite Miyazaki film is Princess Mononoke because okay. I love the sort of like socio political commentary in there. I love the mythical quality of the story. Um, And I love the fact that it is a film that refuses to give you good guys and bad guys. Mm -hmm. Everyone there has a point and everyone there is a little bit wicked and everyone there is a little bit righteous. And it's just an incredible kind of exploration of this idea that I think as a kid growing up in the 90s, I saw a ton of of this kind of like simplistic environmentalism messaging Mm -hmm. of like, we need to save the rainforest, Captain Planet, you know, (laughs) and it's like, and it makes it all very, and obviously I'm in favor of environmentalism, but the way that Princess Mononoke handles that sort of question, like it really, it digs into the fact that like, yeah, some of the most horrible things uh, that we're robbing ourselves of, this beauty, this wonder, this habitat for these, this this, like lineage of of spirituality and of nature we're destroying but we are getting something that's tangible and meaningful and matters to like the people of iron town and everything and it really it's saving those people's lives in a way it's not just a it's it's not creating a, an easy caricature to be like oh industrialism is bad and nature is good it's and also nature is wild and destructive it will just and will rip you apart so it's like it really felt like the most honest version of that story and then how it ends in this incredible sort of spectacle is just something that i think is is a remarkable achievement i feel like people kind of talk Uh, it oftentimes I feel like doesn't top people's list because it's very dense and very kind of like thick with plot and character. And, but that's some of the reasons why I love it so much. So that's my number one for sure. But I will say I have an unpopular opinion that spirited away is, is number three for me Uh Uh, because which I know, I know I'm sorry, but I just love Porco Rosso so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. He's just, he hates, he hates Nazis and he's going to punch them in the face and he's got, and he has to battle pirates and he hates the kids, but he's got to help the kids. And he's just, I just, and it had, it's like such a silly movie that also is able to have these like moments of beautiful poetic grandeur where he's like rising above the 
above the clouds and seeing heaven for for pilots and you're just and it's a pig the whole time you're just like what is this movie how is this made how does this exist and i just think it's incredibly special so for me uh, it, it that's number two and then spirit away is number three because uh, you know obviously that's like the right answer it's supposed to be going to go down in history as the best animated movie ever but it's it's number three in my heart because those two movies have it they're just they're just so me in very different ways that i couldn't I, that that's but that's my top three but, you know i respect it more power to you alex no that <laughs> i i knew mononoke would be your number one i just yeah <laughs> just knowing you it's like and, and that's not a bad choice that's a that's a stellar choice um yeah amanda what is your favorite Oh man, you know I'm with you, Alex. I'm gonna I'm gonna also join the unpopular opinion because I enjoy Spirited Away. It's my number three as well. Um, Because and I enjoyed it. Beautifully done. I feel like it's the film when everyone says Miyazaki films, they're like Spirited Away. I feel like it was the one that that connected the most with, and I think really brought in. It's the gateway for a lot of people to meet and get to know the Miyazaki verse, as I'm going to call it. Um, I feel like that that was, but for me, it, it resonated with me, but I feel like my numbers one and two are going to be the ones that I resonate with the most. I also loved Princess Mononoke. That's actually my number two. Uh, the environmental message, I was one of those people that was right behind it too. I was like, I understand this. I love this. And, it, uh, and just, she's such a badass character all the mm. way through. Like, I'm just here like, I want to ride a wolf too. Like, I want to, and I was, I'm trying to remember how old I was when I saw it, but yeah, I was like, I want to ride a wolf too. Like, she's cool. I want to go like fight with the animals. Let's take everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I loved her character. Loved it. My number one though, I'm a sucker for a love story and that's going to be Howl's Moving Castle for me. I, the animation was so well done. Um, I did watch this one in the English dub. So I got, I got my taste of Christian Bale and um, just, there's just something about, you know, it was, it was beautifully complex. There was a lot of moving pieces in this story, but to see Hal and the way that he treats Sophie and starts coming around, just, it was a very, it was a unique way of telling a love story with all these moving pieces. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm a Hal girl. <laughs> mm. I, I really, I enjoyed it because it's not, you know, Miyazaki has very different themes in his, obviously, as we talked about, very th- different themes in his films. And to see his interpretation of this type of story was a really neat experience for me. So it 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 was different than everything I'd seen so far with Ponyo, my neighbor Totoro. There was just something about just the animation was just beautiful. I I just loved everything. It just connected with me so much and I just loved everything about it. Princess Mononoke had held the top spot for a while and then mm-hmm. Hal came along. It was like I was like, okay, I'm I'm working in the castle too. I want to clean the castle too. Um <laughs> <laughs> me, pick me. But it's it's just that it's just that feeling of you know, you see how great of a character she is and just you see the evolution of somebody who doesn't know how to love into loving. And it's it's just it's a neat story of growth. And again, I just love the, the emphasis on the relationships, um, you know, here. And yeah, I'm I that one resonated the most with me very close, followed very closely by Princess Mononoke and then spirited away as my as my number three again Hell's not in my list but i will say any movie where the male protagonist has a moment where he uses the wrong conditioner and is ready to yes. end it all yes is a, is a movie that i can get behind <laughs> oh. so so relatable but 
no, that another another wonderful uh, choice for your your top three. I mean, uh, both of I feel like both of those fit you. Like I, I feel like that works, um, <laughs> and I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, I, I'd say my pairings a little different. Rather than giving top three, I'll say that I've got a best and I've got a favorite. Oh, um, okay. Because I, I think for me, and, and maybe this is the boring answer, but Spirit Away is, I think, the best one. Um, just because I think it, it does take so many of the themes that you get from from Mononoke in terms of like the environmentalism um, and, and some of the other movies with like uh, the coming of age story, the um, the sense of identity. Um, there There is a bit of a love story there. Like, I think it just takes all of that and I think it distills it into its most perfect form. Um, so I would have to pick that as the best, but my favorite, even though I, I will admit, I don't think it's the strongest, but just from like a purely, you know, what do I love? Kiki's delivery service. I oh, yes. adore. That's yeah. Perfect. Perfect choice. It's just, it's so, so charming. And I, again, it's another coming of age story as, as most of Miyazaki's films are, but it's so like, honest in how it goes about that like it is like incredibly like sad at times and very melancholy um but ultimately very uplifting and i just love that movie so much it's like it's got some gorgeous animation um i love the characters in it like i want that baker family to adopt me like i (laughs) i please sign me up i i can't even eat that bread i'm allergic to that please adopt me i'm here for that um just uh and and so and that's another one where just um the the voice cast for um the english dub is also fantastic um so now again it's you're not going to find any duds here in Miyazaki's uh, filmography. So oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service is a movie that I really, I do love it so much. For me, it's number four. It's so I'm, I'm right there with you, Josh. I think it's just like, it's such a special movie that I think people in their twenties can relate to so, so much where it's like, you, it's kind of, it's kind of wild, the premise where it's just like, oh, so you're a witch. So of course, as everyone know, witches have to leave their home at 12 and or 14, whatever, and go to another town. So you could become that town's witch. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, this is not a thing. I love that. It's just like, of course, this is how it works. Um, but that being said, like, it feels like such a great metaphor for like being a young person and like finally getting thrown into the world and being like, now I have to live a life. And how do I do that? And it's really hard. And I have to work really hard. And other people all seem to have it so much easier. But I can't resent that because then that doesn't that like I lose the magic that makes me me if I if I get weighed down by the burdens of the world, but it just, it's, it's, I've always said if I had a, uh, if I owned my own movie theater, I would do a, uh, a double feature of Francis Ha and Kiki's delivery service. I think those two films, which are completely different in so many ways, pair very well together. Um, and also just like the moment in Kiki's delivery service where she loses the ability to hear her cat and mm. she is truly alone in the world is just maybe the most devastating thing put to screen ever. I don't know. It's in the top 10 for sure. Uh, yeah, that is brutal. And then, I mean, Gigi also kind of goes off his own mission, which is, you know, okay, Gigi, I, I get it. You want to have your romance, but still, how dare you betray Kiki? Truly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I know we kind of got off on a, a tangent talking about our favorite Miyazaki films, but I, I think it's important context uh, for yes. The Boy and the Heron. Um, because 
I mean, in terms of like those comparisons, like was there anything about the boy and the heron that you like especially like that you felt like was a standout that maybe you you hadn't seen from other Miyazaki films or that you feel like was just maybe better done in, in this film than in some of the other ones we talked about? Um Amanda, I'm going to start with you this time. Oh man, I there was there was there was a lot here to to choose. I think there's a lot here to choose from. I feel like um, for me, I just really enjoyed that moment that the closure that Mahito got with his mom, which I I know I misstated her name earlier, but um, but with with yeah, oh my gosh, so 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 good. And I'm like, I'm just now drawing a blank. I'm trying to pull her name up real, real quickly. But uh, Lady, um, Himi? I was thinking, Lady Himi. Well, it's, I thought it was, was it? No, it wasn't Kariko, right? Well, no, it was Lady Himi. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Yes. So I, just that moment where, you know, he's connecting with his mom, the younger version of his mom. And then you have that moment in front of the door where, you know, she's saying goodbye to her sister and just, you know, and then, but then you're going to go through that door and you know what's going to happen to you. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I will, I'll be fine. Um, that closure was really powerful because, you know, when you lose a parent, you lose a sibling, you know, those are somebody in your immediate family that's such a, a huge loss, especially the loss of a parent. Um, and to be able to have that moment of closure and the, the way that the story involved that and having Mahito find that peace and be ready to move on. So powerful. Did I, did I, you know, and then as a sister too, you had, so it was like not only just, Mahito getting that closure, but then you know his stepmom getting that closure too. And as a sister, um, that hit me really hard because I lost my older sister years ago. And so just to see that moment where you have that closure for everybody involved was so powerful. It was so good. Did I cry like a baby? Yeah, I did. But Miyazaki makes me do that though because it's such a beautiful story that the beauty of it makes you cry too. Yeah. That was my moment. Yeah, no, and that's. Lovely moment. Like, yeah, I think that's a that's a great choice, Amanda. And yeah, certainly no, this if there's a place to talk about crying during movies, it's on this podcast. So yes. <laughs> um yeah, Alex, any part that stood out for you that, you know, really kind of took your breath away? Well, certainly the part where all of the parakeets try to trick Mojito into letting them eat him was was a <laughs> highlight for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, of course, come right this way. And you like see they're holding like knives and pans behind in their backs. It's excellent. That's not really like a moment that I didn't expect from a Miyazaki movie, but that is, it was uh, iconic. I love that so much. They're like, oh, well, you don't have a baby, so of course we're going to eat you. <laughs> like, Fucking parakeets, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that ultimately it's kind of what we've been talking about. The subversive ending to this film is what really leaves the lasting impact on me. And I think... So many of his films are, I would say none of his films can can be minimized by saying they follow like a traditional structure and, and conform to genre expectations for children films. Like definitely not. But I think that this is the boldest ending of any film that he's made. It's arguably the least satisfying, which makes it the most satisfying, right? Because you don't really get the catharsis. You don't get the moment where he 
convinces his younger his mom's younger self to do something differently so that way she doesn't die you don't get the moment where he saves and improves upon all of the flaws of his grand uncle and saves the the magical realm uh he you don't get any of that catharsis you just get him choosing his life and his loved ones and then cut to one year later and they're moving back to tokyo the end and you're just like did i miss something like that's yeah. wait what like yeah. did i fall asleep what is going on <laughs> there must be a scene missing but then it's like no that is so bold and i think the boldness of that ending is is the thing that will stick with me the most from this movie yeah. that and how absolutely grotesque it is when when the heron appears out of uh the heron's mouth <laughs> the little man appears out of the heron's mouth yeah you're just like what is what is happening right now <laughs> Oh yeah, I want to get to that in a, in a second, but uh, no, I I think you're absolutely right. Like that, the 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 ending. Like I think in in my screening, like people didn't know what to to do. They're like, wait, really? Like that's what I have to sit with. And I think yeah, that I see. Like it's it's unsatisfying in a way that makes it perfect for a movie like this. Yeah, um, I feel like imagine yeah. if you were ten years old and you watched this movie, like it would just light your brain on fire, and you yeah. would just it would it would have to I it must just like re like fashion what a story could even be for a kid to experience yeah. this in an impressionable age, you know? Like I'm so jealous of that. I can't imagine what no. that experience would be like. Yeah, no, this uh, <laughs> I can't imagine watching this as a kid and having to understand like not only is this about like time travel and like an isekai like in a different world but also grief and you know it's a you know period like there's so much going on um yeah. it should not work it, it just on paper it should not work at all um i do also i do also like the moment when mihito decides to like he starts to so he's on this quest to save his aunt out of duty right this sort of sense of like my my father would be so upset if something happened to her and she's been kind to me i need to do this right and at a certain point i think during that birthing sequence Mm -hmm. which is like wild and i'm still not entirely sure what the hell was happening um but (laughs) he finally kind of commits to the idea that this is his mother now and he invests Mm -hmm. in that relationship for himself it's not out of duty it's out of this uh, out of the emotional connection that he is fostering with her and he finally acknowledges that and that is such a small it's a big moment of chaotic insanity but the emotion is easy to miss i think but when you really look back and think on it it really is is a powerful thing to be happening right there especially in the sense that like his the child version of his mother has walked him to the room where he can finally make peace with the idea that he loves this woman too and that this woman can also be his mother um and it doesn't mean letting go of the mother that he had and lost it means just embracing and it and that ends up echoing in the finale in that climax where he decides to be with them and to live in that world and invest in those relationships and not get sucked into a fantasy it's 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 it all works together it all, all those pieces pull together in ways that are very impressive and even more so when you really at least for me when you when I look back on it and see it for what mm-hmm. they were doing because in the t- in the moment it's just so overwhelming i think yeah yeah no that scene in particular is like very chaotic um but like in, in a way that i think is meant to resonate with you and yeah i i think that other than like the the ending for me and the the scene where he has that final moment with this younger bridge's mom for me that was like 
kind of the heart of the movie just like seeing just and it's it's so i mean relatively simple and just the way that he keeps referring to her you know by name and then suddenly he says like mom or mother and just like that yeah. shift yeah. there like that's yeah. that's so powerful um and just like again like as, as much as this movie is like sometimes like maximalist in its storytelling like that's such a minimalist detail to like just show the shift in this character that's just spectacular um I do have to ask, uh, because this came up from a, a friend who, who saw this movie. What did you both think of the dad marrying his wife's sister? Did that bother you at all? Because my friend was like, I couldn't get past that. Like, she could, <laughs> she could not watch the rest of the film after that. Did this that bother is, you guys? I mean, this is probably just like a, a thing for me that is maybe unfair. But well, I would, it just felt like something that you would have done in the 40s. You know, mm. like it just seems like like yeah. it wouldn't have been cool now but in the but like it seems like in the past you're like well yeah of course like his sister you loved this woman she had a sister who is very much similar so you would be connected to her and you would get married to her next that makes sense um but yeah i could see it like not being cool with the modern audiences but i don't know you still hear about that honestly in real families you know where like you are if this is not a story about the two of them no becoming a relation having a relationship but you could imagine a a world where that story is they both are pulled together in their shared grief over the loss of this person and this familial obligation towards the son and that over time that developing into a romance that isn't icky and gross but is fair i think that we're seeing it so much from his eyes from mojito's eyes and what that means is that we're only getting tiny glimpses of what their relationship is because it's very clear that they have kind of shielded him from it as it was developing and then suddenly it's there and they're like about to get married and so it's it's very overwhelming for him because it's so jarring but i could imagine that like the story that we didn't see could actually be very beautiful and, and resonant and, and understandable no yeah no i'd agree with do you have any thoughts amanda so i feel like that didn't while it is odd i feel like because as an anime fan we see so much random weird things that we're exposed to like again you know like we talked about earlier with yours brother (laughs) it's my family i feel like you get a lot of that in the anime genre that it's not completely jarring because i've seen worse (laughs) it's kind of terrible i've seen worse but i also feel like you know like alex said i think it was smart to shift the focus from the relationship part to uh, between you know his between you know mahito's dad and and you know his aunt to focusing on it coming from mahito's eyes and that was smart because I feel like for, you know, it could be a beautiful story when it's told correctly, but the weirdness of it could put people off, especially if they're not used to the anime genre. Uh, so I think it the way it was delivered and handled kept people engaged. So it is it is odd, but I want to say, I don't necessarily think it's specific to Japanese culture, but I, I think in some cultures where if one of the siblings passes, the other one marries into the family i feel like there's there's some cultures where that that was a thing too um and so just having that background knowledge and again being kind of exposed to a lot as an anime fan um over the years (laughs) that didn't stick out to me as much but i think it would have if they if the focus was on the relationship with the parents yeah um more so but but i think the way it was handled and i do think that like the point of us getting the story from his perspective is that 
he is receiving this as here's this woman who I don't know who looks just like my mom who is trying yes. to replace her. Yes. Yes. So then, of course, that's our, our emotional experience of that. And then if you look at that as an adult, you're like, oh, so he's just like swapping out one sister for another. That's gross. But like I said, like it's very possible to have a situation where two adults who both loved someone who died tragically could come together in their right. shared grief and and develop a romantic relationship out of that. So, but no. that's not something that he would be experiencing as the kid, right. no. you know. And especially at that time of in that time in that culture, I would imagine that you would not you would be shielding him even more so from the romantic relationship until it was formally something that like they were getting married, right? So, because you just you would typically, I think now sometimes families will be more open about, oh, I'm dating this person or that person. But you know, traditionally speaking, you would not you would shield your kid, especially if they are still overcoming the loss of the, of of the parent through death. Like you would shield them from the romantic side of your life until it was something that was permanent that they could invest in. So I think right. it, I think it makes sense being presented in that way. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And and I was going to say something similar where I think it makes the like the Mahito's arc of like coming to terms with, you know, this new relationship and, and learning to accept, um, you know, that he has this new maternal figure. Like it, it makes it all the more, you know, poignant because, yeah, he has to get over the fact that, you know, like this is someone who looks like my mom and who is like in some ways kind of replacing my mom, but not really. So, no, I think it, I think it works, I, but I can also see why people would be a little skeeved out by it. So, <laughs> um, speaking I think of me, you're supposed to, I do think you're yeah. supposed to feel that way because that's how yeah. he's feeling. Right. So I true, don't think that that's true. necessarily a flaw. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, speaking of being skeeved out, how do you guys feel about the heron? <laughs> Alex, you mentioned it a few times, so. Yeah, I mean, it's grotesque and repulsive and magnificent. Uh, that's my <laughs> review of the heron in this movie. It is wild that they renamed this movie The Boy and the Heron because the mm. heron is not like, the, like when you hear, oh, it's the movie The Boy and the Heron, you think it's about about a boy and a heron uh, teaming up to like fight the world or whatever. And it's very much not that. Like he is a important character in this, but by no means like the second lead of the, you know, a co-equal character. So I do think that it's kind of weird that they landed on that as the name. Um, I do get why they didn't go with how do they how do you live even though that is a beautiful and poetic title and perfect for this movie um, because it is kind of like it's very existential for a children's film <laughs> title yeah. so I, I do get that and um, but the boy and the heron is a weird choice but as a character the heron is is very interesting because you think that he is going to be like the boy's magical guide through this other realm and instead he hates him. And is so antagonistic for yes. most of the film, and then they finally reach a like a, a nice kind of a piece, um, and they're able to come together and, and, and towards the end of the film. But it is it really subverted my expectations in a way that was yeah. fun, and the performance that I heard was fantastic. And I've heard that Robert Pattinson gives an incredible performance as well. So yeah, yeah, Amanda, as the only one of us who have seen the the Robert Pattinson performance, what were your thoughts on the Heron? He knocked it out of the park. Honestly, one of the strongest characters in the whole. And again, his his role, like I was like Alex, I thought, oh, he's going to be with them the entire time. And he really wasn't. Um, but so well done. 
I thought maybe at first, okay, we're going to get, he was almost channeling his William, inner William Defoe <laughs> in a Who's lot of ways. Which is, who was also in this, with his part being a little bit smaller than expected. But wow, Robert Pattinson, this is, has to be one of my, other than the Batman, one of my favorite performances of his to date. He slayed it. I'm like, you know what? You've left Edward, your glittery vampire self in the dust with this performance thank <laughs> goodness i mean when he was on screen i feel like the heron stole the show because of rob pattinson's performance again i have not watched the sub and i'm sure it's going to be even more epic in the sub but rob pattinson everybody around me in the theater was like that's rob pattinson like <laughs> like really really nailed it i mean he was he was very grotesque i mean just the whole even kind of in the mid transition where you see like his teeth and kind of like the gums popping oh, out i was yeah. like eh. i'm eating my food and i'm like yeah it's the teeth that really and, does it and i was like i can't i'm like i'm just gonna put my food down for a second even though i really want to eat it and then um the whole the, the the head popping out of the heron and he's just wearing the heron's body i was like i'm i, I gotta digest this for a minute but that's also i feel like a miyazaki <laughs> thing where you at least have some oddly drawn characters that are a little that could be borderline off-putting <laughs> i feel like that yeah. is something there but there's something beautiful about how that's done too um mm. because it's such a cool idea even though it is grotesque it's still cool that miyazaki did it and i didn't barf so I was close, <laughs> but but Rob Rob Pattinson's performance though just to me he was the MVP because of his voice dubbing. If he wants to have a career as an English voice actor for anime, I think he could do it. Okay, yeah. I think that my favorite Heron moment is when he has where Mahito's agreed to help him with the whole like the hole in his nose right yes. the, the thing yes. that's stuck in his nose right and he's and he's like fine i'll help you and they do it and then as soon as he helps him and he goes back to being able to fly he's like aha i tricked you i was never going to work with you you yes. did my bidding and now i'm going yeah. to leave and immediately then he's like uh but it is still like a little bit too long can you help me again yeah. <laughs> and then just like i guess the shame of that is just like then he's kind of stuck with it for the rest of the movie he's like okay fine i'll help you <laughs> Yeah. Just a great, great moment of comedy and uh, insightful for that weird character. Yeah, yeah, such a such a weird character. But yes, very, very in line with other things we've seen from. He, in many ways, reminded me of uh, Yababa from uh, Spirited Away. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. There's just something about Miyazaki films and like these characters that turn to birds. Everyone's turned to a bird or you know part sure. bird or something. Wouldn't you turn into a bird if you could? I mean, absolutely. Maybe not that bird, but <laughs> yeah. Please bird. don't. In yeah. the middle of this podcast, transform he transforms, and there's a heron. No. You know, pops head popped out of a heron. Please don't. Yeah. yeah, not maybe next time. Maybe next time, guys. I feel like we could go on talking about this movie for the next like five hours. But in interest of time, I'm just curious, any closing thoughts on the boy and the heron? I again very much enjoyed this film. You know, I I feel like. If this is truly the last Hao Miyazaki film, this is a good swan song to end on too. Although, um, you know, again, with The Wind Rises, we thought that's what we were getting. And then we got this. It was a very pleasant, it was a very pleasant surprise. It was, it was again, just beautifully designed. The The life lessons were just so on point. The, again, I heard the dub version. The English actors did a tremendous job. And just i i really really enjoyed it again it's not my favorite miyazaki film but it is definitely 
I would say like at least in like my top eight, maybe even top five. Like it's very, very, very good, very powerful. If this is the last film we get, I am happy with it. I hope it's not, you know, you always hope for the best. But again, with time, you just, you never know. But if it is what it is, if it is the end, I'm satisfied with it. It was very well done. And I'm glad I saw it. And I'm glad we got to podcast about it. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Alex, your, your closing thoughts. I guess my closing thoughts is I, I want to briefly mention one more moment that mm-hmm. stuck out to me that I forgot to mention earlier, which is when the, so the boy uh, is in the kind of like extra magical realm with the his grand the great grandfather character um a grand uncle character i should say uh and the parakeet king and his like two lackeys are going in following after and they're like trying to make a deal with the grand uncle and and the parakeet king is so like i'm here to do my job and i'm gonna get what i need for my people and his two his two subordinates are in walk in and they're like oh my gosh wait is this paradise are we in heaven right now are and then they see like actual parakeets flying by and they're like look those are our ancestors <laughs> and it's just like their brains are completely melting that they're like in like creation itself and it's and meanwhile like grumpy old uh parakeet king is just like we have to get to the i'm gonna fix everything i know better than everyone else and it's just like this incredible contrast and it just it's just like a cast off like couple of lines and I just, it's just, it's just the sort of thing that you just don't get elsewhere. And I think that's kind of the point to leave on, which is just that there isn't another movie like this as even amongst all of the Miyazaki films and how many kind of references you could say like, oh, well, there, this character seems similar to that Miyazaki movie. No movie exists like this. And those are so rare to find, period. And extraordinarily rare to find in in children's uh media something that is just truly and wholly unique and unlike anything else and if that's not enough to get you to the theaters then i don't know what will but i hope you do check it out because it is it is definitely worth having that experience it truly just sticks to me like a half-remembered dream this many weeks later and i can't wait to let it live alongside me for years to come very well said very well said and i think my my final thought will just be you know if none of what alex said convinced you to see this see it for the waru 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 i need the merch i need the plushies give me they're pure they're innocent i would die for them we need more waru waru um stole the show for me but i'm a sucker for cute little things we know this already but uh guys thank you so much for uh covering this this was a lot of fun uh, i know this has been something on our calendar for months now so very glad we uh were able to all come together and discuss this so um with that um amanda can you tell us where people can find you online if there's any social media you want to plug definitely well uh of course i am also one of the co-hosts for the socially distanced podcast so i gotta throw some love out to my fabulous co-hosts bill and al and of course you can hear of course josh has been on alex has been on and alex is gonna be on again (laughs) (laughs) with us here uh, as we are in the middle of our holiday uh holiday extravaganza um, on the socially distanced so um, please, you know, give us a, a listen on all of your streaming platforms so you can definitely hear me there. Uh, also, uh, of course, I am at Amandalorian on Instagram and threads. So I basically just share everything about, you know, the wrestling that's down here. I'm a huge indie wrestling fan. So uh, wrestling that's happening here. I do cosplay. 
of course I geek out about anime, so I'm pretty much streaming about that. And of course, Star Wars. That's my that's my thing. Um, love Star Wars. I'm affectionately known as the Human Star Wars Encyclopedia, and as, uh, of course, Ahsoka cosplayer. So um, you'll get to see all of that when I post all my randomness on on social. Uh, I also do have a couples cosplay account with at at Brandalorian with my significant other who has guested on this pod, uh, and of course on on socially distanced as well, Brandon Vice. So we've got that going on. And I am at Resner's Chick on X as well. Again, I'm not really on X, guys. It's just the whole Twitter name change. And with my with my handle being a nine inch nail, saying, "Yeah, that was just a combination disaster that's meant to happen," but here we are. <laughs> 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 and so, but that is where you can uh, find me on social media. And of course, you know, again, thank you, Josh, for hosting this episode. You did an outstanding job because a boy in the heron is a tall task. <laughs> to cover <laughs> and it's always a, it's always a pleasure podcasting with you and of course i'm gonna uh, where can people find you if you would like to be found on social media or tell us about your podcast because you guys had a new episode drop of the anniversary brothers as well so josh tell us about it because i'm pretty sure we're gonna have our fantastic guests take us home so no. josh where where can we where can we find your endeavors on social yes, so Social media, I'm not really active at the moment. I'm considering some alternatives. Uh, yeah, the whole Twitter X thing kind of threw me off. So it can't Make be found on there box, anymore. Josh. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> but people can find me, as Amanda mentioned, on the Anniversary Brothers podcast, um, where we recently released an episode on the 25th anniversary of the Powerpuff Girls, which was a whole lot of fun. Uh, very much enjoyed that. And that can be found on the pop break tv feed um and if you want to hear our latest film podcast aaron and i also talked about a double feature we talked about you've got mail and sleepless in seattle uh which was a, a blast um and that can be found in the uh, pop break today feed uh and if you want to hear more of me with alex they can go check out the pop break or sorry the uh, tv break podcast where every month we talk about the ins and outs of tv this last month, we had our year in review podcast where we picked our streamers of the year, um, our shows of the year, news stories of the year. It was a stacked episode. So uh, highly encourage people to uh, check that out. Um, but Alex, thank you so much for joining us. It was truly a, a pleasure to have you on here. Um, long in the making. So very glad that you were able to, to come and join us. Um, how can you can you send us off? What where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here to have an avenue to talk about this incredible film and to have a reason uh, to put my feet to the fire, make me finally watch Spy Family. So so worth the reward uh, of watching that is 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 in and of itself uh, fulfilling. So I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't coming here. So thank you for that. Um, as for where you can find me, you can find me on Letterboxd at Media Thinking. So you can follow me on Blue Sky at Alex Marcus. Uh, you can follow, as Josh said, TV Break Podcast or on the Pop Break TV uh, feed. Um, that show, like Josh said, we did our year in review episode that we love to do every year. That was a very fun one this time. Next month, we're going to be talking about uh, Percy Jackson, the Disney Plus show. So if uh, I feel like that has decent anime uh, overlap, uh, you know, Greek gods, magical realms, little boys, it's, it's got everything anime needs, right? So <laughs> you'll hear you'll hear what we think about that. <laughs> <laughs> um also on uh the pop break today feed for me is bill versus the mcu i'm not bill i am 
I am Alex. My co-host Bill is on as well. We're going to the two of us talking about uh, the we just actually released our episode on uh, our phase five check-in where we talked about loki season two secret invasion and also the marvels so you can hear all of our thoughts about those um very contentious and uh and controversial uh marvel products um and then in january we're doing our annual feige's awards where we give out our uh our awards to the best of the Marvel MCU and all of the other coverage that we've done in the last year, which included all of the Defender shows on Netflix and also the first four seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Next year on Bill vs. the MCU, we are going to be covering the X-Men Cinematic Universe, every single film in the X-Men Cinematic Universe from 2000s uh, X-Men uh, all the way to New Mutants. So we're covering it all uh, in the first half of next year. So if you're an X fan, definitely check us out there as well. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to listen to that. Okay. Well, again, Alex, thank you for joining us. Amanda, thank you as always for being my co-pilot in this ride. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to have you join us next time. 